Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. In the concluding teaching on Church Matters, we realize that our shared gospel identity sets us free to take risks for the kingdom. We're going to be in John 13 today. John 13, if you want to open up your Bibles there. We are going to be concluding today a series that we have been in for an ever-increasingly long time as we've continued to add and change and morph this sermon series. We're in a series called Church Matters in which we've been looking at matters of the church, the identity of the church, the purpose of the church, who are the people that lead the church, who are the people that serve in the church. We've been in this series for several weeks, and over these last couple weeks, we've specifically been looking at the identity of the church as God's missional community, God's family of servant missionaries. Here at Redemption, that's what we believe the church is, that we are God's family of servant missionaries. And so we've been taking time over these couple weeks to pull out each of these identities, and today we're going to be looking at our identity as servants. We believe here at Redemption that these identities are really, really critical, not just for us to understand theologically, but for every man, woman, and child here at Redemption to know who they are by the Spirit of Jesus so they can live out their identity. So, as we looked at last week, identities, though, are supposed to function. They're supposed to do something. Identity is not just some static reality that you hold in your head, but it's something that actually compels you into action. And over these last couple of weeks, there's been this story that I keep chewing on as it relates to identity, and maybe you've heard this story. It's a story that relates to identity leading to action. It's a story most of us probably are familiar with. It's a story of a young prince. Let's not put the slide up, by the way, Joe. Let's hold off on a second. It's a story of a young prince who has to realize who he is. He has to retake the throne that was stolen from him. The prince is burdened, though, because of his shame and his guilt. Because of his own cowardice, his father was killed and the throne was taken. So he runs away, and he hides in a jungle, and takes on a life of ease. But then in a vision, his father comes and says to him, remember who you are. Who knows what I'm talking about? Lion King. Absolutely. If you've never thought of Lion King that way, I hate to tell you that's the whole point of the movie. The whole point of the Lion King is that identity leads to action. The Lion King has the reality of identity smack dab at the core. If nothing else, it's about knowing who you are. Because if you think about it, when Simba realized who he was, what did he do? Sure, he went back and he fought Scar, yes. But do you know what he does? He admits his failure. Simba humbles himself and admits his cowardice and his fear. He apologizes. He confronts his shame and his wrongdoing. And then he doesn't just go fight Scar. If you think about it, he's laying his life on the line to take back and reclaim his family. For Simba, knowing who he was leads to courageous, humble action. And so, as I said today, 
We're talking about who we are. The Spirit is calling us to remember who we are as servants. So what I want us to see today in John 13 is that Jesus not only calls us to live like servants, but he himself shows us how he has so greatly served us. Because only if we realize how greatly we've been served can we then actually participate in the story as servants. So we're going to be in John 13, and you can listen or read along as I read through these first couple of verses. John 13. John writes, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. Just pause real quick. See how slow the story's going? It intentionally slows down. Here's what everything's been happening, John, and now we're getting snapshots. We're getting play-by-plays of what's happening in this scene. Verse 4, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he, meaning Jesus, knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, and put back on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Let's pray. Jesus, as we look at this passage in John 13, we do ask, Spirit, that you would speak to us, that you would say to us, remember who you are. Jesus, I pray for those of us here in different places in life, coming in here with different emotions, different fears, different worries, different cares, different things that are preoccupying our mind. Would you, Jesus, by the power of your Spirit, speak to us? reminding us who we are, reminding us that who we are actually changes how we think. I pray, Jesus, that you would show us the false identities that we've been living in. And even for those here, Lord, who might not really know who they are, Jesus, I pray that you, through your word, by the work of your spirit, would show them who they are in Jesus. Jesus, we can trust you for this. Amen. All right. So we're diving into this passage in the middle of John, the middle of a, of a book of the New Testament. But what I want us to do before we start looking into some specifics of this passage, let's ask, where are we at in the story of God? 
Where are we at in the broader narrative of what God is doing, not just in the storyline of Scripture, but even now in the age of the church? If you look at this next slide that has kind of the the symbols that we use to illustrate the story of God, we know that from the beginning, when God created all things, when he brought life up out of nothing, he made a family who he called to be priests and kings. If you think about it, when God made Adam and Eve and put them in the garden, they were called to rule and oversee the expansion of the creation so that God could come and dwell with his people. But they were called to be priests. Especially if you think about the nation of Israel, they were called to be mediators, those who served. So God's people were called to be priests and kings and queens. So from the beginning, this work of servant has always been part of the story of God. Kings and queens who would rule, servants who would serve people and point them to God. But what do we know in the story? Do we have that slide, Joe, of uh, the story symbols? That God calls a nation to himself to be priests and kings to the world, but what do they do? They reject God. They choose to live for themselves, and Satan is allowed to continue his work in the world. And so God himself writes himself into the narrative, and Jesus comes as the true king and the true priest, the true servant who would come and defeat Satan. So we have to understand where we're at in the story because if we were just going to dive into this passage on its own without the story being our interpretation, then we could get all kinds of meanings. If you think about it, how many Christians do you know who just say, oh yeah, look, Jesus is just such a good example for us. We're just supposed to, you know, serve people too. Oh wow, washing feet, maybe we're supposed to wash feet too. Maybe we should just wash each other's feet all the time. People don't allow the story to help them interpret the specific passage that they're looking at. So if the story is interpreting this for us, then there's a couple things that we need to realize. First off, we realize that the foot washing in this passage has a very specific purpose. It's showing us what's about to happen. You could say the foot washing is an interpretive lens by which we can understand the death of Jesus. The foot washing is showing us, here's what's about to go down at the cross. The foot washing provides us an explanation of what we're going to see. The foot washing gives us a preview. It's almost like a movie trailer showing you of what's going to happen. So what's happening with foot washing? Well, obviously, it's about cleansing. If you think about this culture, a time when people usually walked barefoot or had on open sandals, your feet would be disgusting. We don't need to talk anymore about that. Your feet would be disgusting. And as I was doing a little bit of study this week, the Jewish people weren't allowed to wash people's feet. Culturally, that was unacceptable to wash people's feet. You would have a designated servant who would usually be the low guy on the totem pole. His job was to wash the guest's feet. So think about that. Jews weren't even supposed to wash each other's feet. That was like culturally unacceptable. So then Jesus takes off his garment, puts on this little towel, and starts washing their feet. That'd be like the CEO showing up on the job and him just, you know, you know I'm just going to take the trash out real quick. Let me just go, you know what, I'm going to scrub this toilet over here. You'd say, no, 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 boss, boss, boss. We got other people to do that. You don't need to do that, man. We got, we got guys that do that. The, the new interns do that. Jesus says, no, I'm doing this because he's also showing us that it's not just about cleansing. The, the foot washing is not just showing us 
The cross is going to be about cleansing and washing of sin. The point is that we needed Jesus to do this for us. Our need, their need, was so great. They needed Jesus to do this. And you can see this in the exchange with Peter. As Peter, obviously, it would be Peter. He refuses Jesus. Which, if you think about it, at the core, what is Peter saying? Jesus, I don't need to be served by you in this way. Jesus says, Peter, you don't understand what's happening because the real cleansing isn't your feet. The real cleansing is your sin. The real cleansing is of your arrogance. Friends, right here, we get to the very core of the Christian faith. So many people think following Jesus is about their deeds for Jesus. I've cleaned up my act. I've been saved, and now I'm working hard for God. Friends, this passage brings us to the very core of the Christian faith, which is less about us serving God, but more about how much he has served us. Christianity is not about us trying hard to work for God, but rather how God in Jesus has worked for us, that he has served us. We, they, we needed Jesus to serve us in this kind of way, in a self-sacrificial way, in a self-emptying kind of way. If you think about it, our very lives depended on Jesus serving us in this way. Do you see yourself as someone whose need was so great that you needed the very Son of God to empty himself on your behalf? A lot of people think, ah, cleaned up my act. I'm, I'm not that bad of a person. Friend, you are that bad of a person. Your sin, your rebellion, your selfishness, your lust, your pride, your anger, your arrogance was so great Not only had it separated you from God, but it required the very Son of God to come and cleanse you of that, to bring you back. So again, we have to grab hold that right here is the core of Christianity, that we will never be able to understand who we are as servants unless we see how greatly we have been served first. Because not only was our need so great, but Jesus was so willing to do it. Another thing we need to see is that Jesus has served us, though, not out of compulsion, or honestly, not even just out of extreme love for us, but because he was being faithful to the Father. We need to grab hold of this as well, that Jesus has served us, not just because he loved us so much that he was willing to die for us, he did, but rather, Jesus was being perfectly faithful and loyal, having complete allegiance and trust in the Father that he was able to go to the cross. This is really important to catch. Look at John 13 again. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God, he was going back to God, out of that place of complete confidence and rest in the Father. Did he go and smash Satan? Did he go and call his disciples and take over the kingdom right then? No. Out of that place of complete loyalty and faithfulness to God, takes off his garment, puts on a towel. It says he rose from supper. Jesus knows the Father has given him all power. He knows the Father is calling him into full obedience. And out of that type of complete trust 
and freedom in the Father and who God had made him to be, he can go and lay down his life as a servant. Jesus was willing to take on being a servant. He was willing to be stripped of everything, physically, spiritually, emotionally, out of his trustworthy, out of a belief that the Father was trustworthy. The Father was going to be faithful to him. So if you think about it, Jesus doesn't just show up and tell us to trust the Father. He says, I'm going to show you how faithful the Father is. It's not hard to imagine the Apostle Paul, 30 years later, reflecting on this passage in the Gospel of John and writing to his friends in Philippi, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Can we go to that next slide, Joe, that has those two passages up? Or I guess we just got it on one slide there. But Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we see Jesus not just identifying as this servant, but showing us where the true power, the true motivation to serve actually comes from. Do you see that it was out of complete freedom that Jesus could go lay down his life as a servant. Jesus was so free to not watch out for himself because he knew the Father had his back so he could go and actually lay down his life, not just for his friends, because who else was at the table that night? The one who would betray him. Jesus serves Judas. Jesus washed Judas's feet. Only someone with complete freedom can actually say, I can actually serve someone who's going to betray me. I actually know they're going to, and I can still lay down my life for them. Jesus' trust in the Father, I mean, you got, you got to see this. It wasn't just because, I mean, Jesus was so strong. He was so perfect that he could just trust the Father, but he was so free because he fully relied on the Father, that led him to be able to serve and lay down his life in this way. So I want us to grab hold of these two realities, that the foot washing is actually showing us what the cross is going to be about, but that Jesus could actually serve in this way out of his allegiance to the Father. Because what happens if you miss that? What happens if you fail to recognize those things and then want to just start living as a servant? Or presuming, okay, well, I don't really understand that, but I know I'm supposed to be a servant, so I better just go serve a whole lot of people. What happens to your faith if you just try to serve God and others without seeing those realities? What happens if you serve out of debt or obligation rather than out of the freedom you have like Jesus? Well, you will grow weary and you will be tempted to give up which maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe some of you are in here and you're just really, really tired. Maybe you're in here today and you just feel really worn down with doing all the things. Worn down either emotionally of trying to serve people who are really hard to serve, worn down physically by just doing a lot to care for your family, care for the kids, care for people in your world. If that is you, I want you to breathe. 
want you to breathe and just take a minute and realize that for some of you, maybe you need to lay down all of your good works and take a minute and rest in how Jesus has worked for you. I want you to hear that today. I think the Spirit wants you to hear that today. Pause doing all the things and see Jesus serving you because he loves you that much, because he's so faithful to the Father, because he wants you to know, I want to serve you, not just through the foot washing, not just through the cross, but I still want to serve you. I want you to see me. And for others... Maybe you've completely missed the fact that you needed Jesus to serve you. You've missed this scandalous, insane grace. You might see Jesus as loving you, but do you see that he's now calling you to participate in that kind of life? Because what happens, church, to all of us If we begin to see Jesus serving us in this way, what happens? What are the results? What are the implications of seeing that our identity is, yes, we're called to be servants, but we are first those who've been served? What happens when you realize that the true king of the world has stooped down to serve you in your weakness, in your running from him, in your refusal to listen to God? He has shown up and said, I want to serve you. I want to give myself for you. What happens when you realize that you have been so greatly served by this type of God? Well, first off, you realize you no longer have to spend all your days looking out for number one. You know, people who say, oh, I'm just looking out for number one. I'm going to look out for myself. It's too hard worrying about other people. You know those kind of people? If we're honest, we're all those kinds of people. We might just not say that. People are going to betray me. People are going to hurt me. It's too hard giving up my time, my money. It's too hard serving people. Just gotta, I'm just going to look out for myself. Do you see the slavery in that? Those type of people who act like they just need to cast off shackles of being connected to other people are actually enslaved. Because the reality is you'll never fully be able to look out for yourself. You'll never fully be able to care for everything in your world and make sure nothing ever goes off according to plan. If that's you, that's a prison. But what I want you to see is that God in Jesus has already looked out for you. He's already proven he has your back. He's already proven that he's out for your real good. Friends, if you realize that Jesus has already looked out for you by laying his life down for you as a servant, you can realize he has your back. And you can be freed to live out your identity as someone who has been served. You, like Jesus, can take the low position. You, like Jesus, can serve even when no one's going to notice. You, like Jesus, can have full confidence that the Father is actually for you. You, like Jesus, can be emptied. You, like Jesus, can be inconvenienced because you realize your job is not to protect your time, money, resources. 
Your job is to see yourself as one who's been called to serve because you've so greatly been served. So you're free to love others. You're free to show real love in a lot of different ways. I want to just specifically ask the men of redemption, husbands, boyfriends, men, all of our men, what would it look like if you loved the redemption family in that type of way? Husbands, what would it look like if you loved your wife in a way that didn't involve you getting anything back? What would it look like if you realized, I have so deeply been loved and served by Jesus because of his faithfulness to God? So what would that look like now to lay down my life for my family? Boyfriends, what would that look like to love your girlfriend in that way? What would it look like to be faithful and committed to them in that kind of way? Wives, ladies here at Redemption, how do you think the Spirit's calling you to lay down your life, to live out that type of identity as a servant, either for the men in your life, for the people around you, for the people in your missional community? In what ways, ladies, is the Spirit calling you to realize how deeply you've been served? For all of us, what about within your MC? What about at your job? What about the street you live on? Second of all, as I said, we're free to realize we no longer need to look out for number one. We're free to serve regardless of the results. For some of us, this is going to be pretty profound, I think, realizing this about Jesus. When we realize that God has stooped down and so greatly served us, then our goal is no longer the results. We are freed from serving and needing a specific result to happen. We can serve people whether we see them changing or not. As a pastor, I can, I can tell you there have been a lot of times when I've said those people aren't going to be worth it. They're not going to change. I've tried so long to talk to them. I've tried so long to serve them. Do you have stories like that of it's just not going to be worth it? Friend, when we realize that the gospel transforms us to serve out of a reality of how deeply we've been served, the results no longer drive the agenda. Again, we're seeing the upside-down nature of Jesus' kingdom. We so often live in a results-driven, pragmatic kind of way where we serve if it's practical. We serve if it makes sense. We serve if it seems like the person might actually respond positively. But friends, in Jesus, we are liberated from the need for accomplishment. Because the life of Jesus is actually what we're participating in through our service, which means that as we lay down our lives, people will see Jesus and not see us. The goal of our service is love. But people not just saying, wow, those people are so kind. Wow, they so love. No, those are people who have been loved. Those are people that the life of Jesus will be seen through. So that means you can just show up and serve. Service can become our reaction rather than self-protection means you can serve and not get anything out of it. It means you can serve even if you don't feel like it. 
So often we're bound up in chains of, I don't really feel like it. When I feel like it, then I'll serve. When I feel like it or it'll work out, then I can go do something for someone else. Friends, do you see that in the gospel you are liberated from that? You don't have to feel good about serving. You don't have to serve only in ways that are comfortable. But we're so hardwired to see tangibles, to see results. But again, the upside-down kingdom is saying you're liberated from that. Our joy and reward is no longer in feeling good about serving. But it's now rooted in I'm a participant in the servanthood of Jesus. I'm not just one who's been served so much by Jesus, but now I actually am living out the life of Jesus. I'm a participant in his spirit-empowered work in the world because I'm showing people his love through serving them. Lastly, when you realize how faithful Jesus was to the Father and that he has served you and is faithful to you, this frees you to take risks to take risks for the kingdom. Risk in big ways, risk in small ways. Risks in serving in big ways, risks in serving even in small ways. Friends, you can step out and be bold because he has your back. For some of you, learning to take a risk might just mean learning to open your mouth and talk to people. For some of us, this might just be you can grow in talking in front of more than maybe like 1.5 people. You can actually begin to talk. You can begin to open. You can begin to listen to people around you. You can begin to not say, I don't have to talk a lot, but what if I actually grow in asking questions of people? For others of you, learning to take a risk out of your confidence in Jesus might mean maybe you need to begin to learn to pray. Privately, publicly, out of a place of extreme confidence that Jesus has been so faithful and loyal to you, you can now pray to him, privately and publicly. For others of you, this type of freedom of seeing yourself as someone so deeply served by Jesus might mean you could open up your house. You could invite somebody over, whether it's clean or not. Some of you need that more than others. Do you see the freedom that seeing yourself as someone so deeply served leads you to? You're no longer ruled by fear of failure because you can take risks. And if you fail, he's still there. He's still got your back. For others of you, need to speak. For others of you, this might mean start a new endeavor that you're really wanting to. That business maybe you've been thinking about, maybe this is a call to that. Maybe you had some insane missional endeavor for the kingdom that you're really wanting to do and you know it would be good. But you're afraid. Or things might not work out. Do you see the freedom you have to take a risk for the kingdom? To go talk to your neighbor? To take on that harebrained idea that you keep thinking about? We're free to take risks. So as we go to close... Remember how we started talking about the story? Remember how we started talking about how God made Adam and Eve and his people in Israel to be servants and priests? God's always had a family of servant missionaries. That's not something cute that Scott made up. 
Look at the story. He's always had a people he's called his sons and daughters. He's always called them to show the world love through service. And he's always called them to be witnesses, mouthpieces, trumpets for his kingdom work. He's always had a family who gave witness to him through their lives of love and service to others. Do you see how all of those are an outworking of identity? So for us, because the servant priest has so greatly served us, in what ways is he calling you to be a king or queen or a priest? Is it in your family? Is it in your job? Is it in your missional community? Over these weeks, we've been, these last couple weeks, we've been looking at identity. We've been looking at how is the Spirit calling you to hear, remember who you are? And how is that going to lead you to action? Because identity always leads to action. Redemption Church, I want you to know that for us, as we're stepping into what I deeply believe is a new season of life for us as a church, a new season of new growth, of new folks coming in, we need to realize that our identity is the understanding our identity is the only way growth can happen. Understanding our identity is the only way that we'll be able to say we can grow for the sake of the kingdom. We are willing to be pushed outside of our comfort zones for the sake of the kingdom. As we've said throughout this series, the way we structure ourselves as a church shows what's most important to us. So as a church, we structure ourselves through our missional communities, through being a family of servant missionaries. Because that's who we are. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.